Hi, and welcome to another episode of the MedTech Matters podcast, where we learn about someone impacting the medical device industry. I'm Sean Fenske, Editor-in-Chief of MPO and host of the podcast. Today, we're speaking with Tom O'Brien, Worldwide President of Endomechanical at Ethicon. Tom, thanks for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thank you, Sean. Great. Good to hear it. So maybe we should just start with a, a bit of an overview. Can you uh, explain what you know, what encompasses endomechanical within Ethicon? Sure. So endomechanical are the mechanical devices that are used in general surgery and cancer surgery applications. So that includes predominantly stapling devices that are used for transecting tissue, and that includes our endocutters mm-hmm. and our mechanical staplers. And then it also includes... Uh, a set of devices that support um, laparoscopic surgery. So that can be access devices like trocars, uh, ligation devices for sealing vessels, and then hand instruments and uh, and then other smaller devices that are all part of the tool the tool set of a surgeon who's using or who's doing um, either open or invasive surgery. And would this also encompass? Uh any sort of robotic surgical instrumentation, or is it is it all uh, you know surgical hand tools that are used directly by the surgeon? It's uh, today it's predominantly surgical uh, devices used in laparoscopic and and open surgery, but the technology mm-hmm. that uh, we'll talk about uh, is also applicable in robotics, particularly the uh, the endocutter stapling technology. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about circular, which is also used in uh, robotic cases. Okay, fantastic. Um, and as you as you may know, uh, MPO's focus is on the the design, the development, the manufacture of medical devices. That's our our primary focus. So of course, we love to speak to uh, you know uh, companies like yourself to find out things that you're doing, but also. Uh, to speak to you about that process. And, you know, with that in mind, can you speak a little bit to the design and development of a surgical device at Ethicon? And, you know, what are the key priorities for the company? So uh, the first priority for us when we embark in any design, because it it takes a while to design a medical device. A typical medical device, depending on um, its complexity, can take anywhere from two to five years to develop. And it's quite, it's quite resource intensive. So when we start the process of uh, developing a new device, our first question always goes to, can we make a difference in the health outcomes? The health outcomes associated with the surgery, uh, the uh, overall disease or complication burden. And if we think we can, that's the inspiration. That's the starting point. And uh, from there, what we'll do is, uh, you know, we'll collect as much evidence as we can about the source of the complications and the or the, uh, the source of how we'll make an improvement in outcomes. And then we'll begin trying to test our hypotheses, test them at the bench level. We'll do prototyping. Uh, we'll do proofs of concept. And then we'll eventually start to uh, scale it. And as we scale it, what we're doing more and more now is we're incorporating the evidence process into that uh, development step. 
So we're beginning to move to preclinical models. And then uh, now, even though we're in, even though the majority of our devices are 510K devices, we will often mm -hmm. uh, commit to do a clinical trial as soon as the uh, device comes to market. So this, this careful approach over, you know, over that span of time that I talked about in terms of one, proving to ourselves that we actually can make a difference and believe we can make a difference in outcomes, and then confirming that through iterations in design and through a series of testing, starting with bench testing all the way ultimately up through, uh, through clinical testing. Fantastic. And um, now when you're, when you're at, you know, the early level of, of you know, I guess R&D or development, whatever, however you want to refer to it, um, are you involving uh, third third party outside partners, you know, supply chain partners, whether it be, you know, material specialists or fabrication, you know, component fabrication uh, companies? Are you involving those types of companies in that process at that stage? We often are, yes, because uh, a lot of times we're putting, we're using materials in ways that really that really push the bounds of what um, of what they can do, you know. Because many of our parts, a, a stapling device uh, like an endo cutter, you know, the stapling cartridge on the end of it may be 60 millimeters, and in that space, mm -hmm. we could deliver 80 or more staples. And so you can imagine how small and how precise yeah. those parts need to be, and the stresses that you you can tend to develop. Uh, in parts that are set that small, so we're constantly working with um, with different suppliers to test out new materials. As we start to get into uh, devices that um, that may have components that deliver components that are absorbable, uh, we need the expertise of uh, material manufacturers that have special properties, not only physiological properties but uh, bioabsorbability properties. Uh, it's often um, it's often a careful orchestration with uh, some well-trusted, highly expert uh, partners that we use. And that's just for the material side. There's also a set of partners we use for just clinical expertise. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. We don't have all the clinical expertise in-house. And in some cases, even understanding at a pathophysiologic level how our device is working requires uh, the assistance and the expertise of others. Fantastic. Um, so, you know, another another topic that, you know, I hear, or I should say another phrase that, that is brought up quite often uh, when talking about surgical instrumentation and, and um, you know, products like that, you know, companies mention, you know, their their need or their, their desire to reduce surgical complications. Maybe you can, yeah. maybe you can uh, explain what that means to you and, and, you know, how Ethicon is trying to do that. Well, if I can, uh, I'll take you back about six years, uh, because okay. the surgical complication has been known for a long time. But in general, uh, the feeling was surgical complications are rare. And so what we did mm -hmm. is we embarked. And so first of all, the feeling was surgical complications are rare, but that there are also many factors are involved in them, and most of the factors are related to surgeon decisions that are made during surgery, maybe, complica mm -hmm. uh, maybe comorbid conditions that the patients face. Uh, we wanted to really understand them, though. We wanted to really understand how extensive were surgical complications, what was the nature of them, 
And could any of them be tied back to the devices? And mm-hmm. so we ran a um, kind of a novel study at the time. We, uh, we used a real-world data set, uh, the premier data set in the U.S., and we mined that for surgical complications for the range of procedures that we typically are involved in. So think of the, you know, bariatric procedures, lung cancer, colon cancer, any kind of the GI procedures, uh, gastric cancer, so on, and so on. And we mined it, and we looked at what the incidence of complications were, what were the types of complications, and then we classified them and tried to understand, okay, well, what are the complications that were obviously not related to these, and which ones could be related to the surgical uh, step and potentially to the devices. And what we found that really surprised us, and it surprised a lot of folks, that surgical complications, first of all, weren't as rare as what we thought. That mm-hmm. in the U.S. alone, that these, this class of complications that could potentially be influenced by the device choice represented about $3 billion. And then obviously if you go outside, wow. yes, it's uh, substantially larger. And that led us to really challenge that accepted belief that, you know, the device really doesn't make that much difference. And, um, and that was really where we started putting our attention to saying, we, be- we really can make a difference. And uh, what we discovered, uh, because this is where I think the, the process, where the findings become really interesting in practice, we looked at um, what was the root cause of the complications. And, you know, you can imagine mm-hmm. you get many different uh, root causes, but ultimately we saw them gravitate around two central themes. One of them was access, and the other was tissue condition. And so I'll start with access. Mm-hmm. What it meant by access was this is this is predominantly cancer cases where you're going after a tumor, and that tumor will present itself in many different ways across patients. Sometimes the tumor may be lodged in uh, between some critical structures, and so it's difficult mm-hmm. to access. Well, you can imagine if you're going in with your surgical instruments to get that to reach that tumor, it may be easier to cause damage to other surrounding structures. And so those are the kind of complications that we ascribe to access. Then tissue condition was one that really opened our eyes to a a new way of thinking about device design. Uh, Most work that's done in medical devices is done with preclinical models, uh, usually young, healthy, porcine models. And young, healthy tissue is Mm -hmm. elastic, it's forgiving, it's highly vascularized. <laughs> right. And what surgeons would tell us and what we saw on the night is that, you know, if, you, if you're dealing with, say, a uh, lung cancer patient and you're trying to excise uh, a tumor, you're doing a segmentectomy or a lobectomy, that lung tissue is going to be anything but young, elastic, and healthy. It's right. going to tend to be friable. Many times it could be irradiated. If there was previous treatment, it could be emphysemic. It might be uh, fibrotic, and you can do the same thing in colon cancer. It may be poorly perfused. In uh, bariatric patients, it may have uh, metabolic disease, diabetes, which, again, affects the properties of the tissue and the way it heals. And so it causes us to really think. It said, look, if we've been developing all these devices with young, healthy tissue, maybe we should start thinking about what are the challenges with imperfect tissue, compromised tissue, tissue that is far more likely to tear, 
far more likely to, and you're far less forgiving. And that's uh, and, and that's uh, an inspiration behind many of our devices. So some of the the uh, innovations that we brought to market and and have in our pipeline to bring to market are all around stabilizing tissue and particularly stabilizing compromised tissue. As the you know, like I said, the learning was you can do you can get away with a lot with young, healthy, elastic tissue, mm-hmm. but with friable tissue. Not so much. It doesn't take much to tear. It doesn't make, take much to cause an injury that can result in bleeding or leaks and so on. And I, I have to imagine that given the climate of the industry and the, the – now, I know it's been talked about for a while, but the, the coming of bundled payments and that being a new reimbursement uh, uh, solution that – you know, eliminating complications, eliminating costs. I mean, I think you said $4 billion. You know, eliminating that for, for healthcare providers, that's tremendous. I mean, that's a huge amount of money that, if, if you, like you said, if you at the device level can help to eliminate that or at least make it better, that's a huge savings for, for uh, healthcare providers. You're absolutely right. And when we first, remember I mentioned that when we go through the design and development process, we usually cap it off at the end when we bring it to market with some sort of clinical study, or mm-hmm. in many cases, we're using real-world evidence. And, uh, and some of those first studies that we did of our GST technology, which is a special gripping surface technology that we use on our endocutters. Some of those original mm-hmm. first studies that we did looking at real-world evidence, so this was, you know, cases, uh, this was looking at actual cases, and most of the numbers were in the range of either uh, several thousand to tens of thousands of cases. We're able to actually go back in and look and see what happened, or what kind of outcomes are they associated with. And what we found was, one is that we really could make a difference in uh, in complication rates. And so we saw associations with complication rates that were substantially lower, uh, 50, 75% uh, lower in terms of hemostasis-related complications. But to your point Mm -hmm. about economics, with real-world evidence, you can get actually real total surgical cost numbers. So not just theoretical models based on complication rates. You can actually go look at and say, in all the cases that were done using... uh, the uh, Echelon GST powered stapler, what kind of surgical costs were associated with those cases relative to all others? And what we found were in the economic side of the equation, we found that you saw substantial differences, very significant and substantial reductions in total surgical costs, oftentimes in the range of 10% or more, which is huge. I mean, and just at a comparison, that's more than the cost of the device. And so when you go back to that question of bundled payments and so on, is that's where you really want to be making differences. Yes, complications prevent more further cost, but you can also, by improving the procedure itself, reduce the need for interventions because there's a spectrum that occurs. Let's say if we're talking about a hemostasis-related complication, and that spectrum is you may get bleeding during the case, and you may have to make an intervention. Maybe you throw a clip on it. Maybe you add a hemostat. Maybe you oversew it. 
that won't really be classified as a complication unless they have to intervene afterwards. If the bleeding continues, then it may become a hemostasis-related complication and be coded so. So if you can improve hemostasis or leak complications interoperatively, you can save costs during the procedure. If you prevent those complications from becoming postoperative complications, then you prevent readmission costs and you substantially lower total cost of care. And, uh, and that's why I think your point is, is dead on, is that in this world of bundled payments, anything we can do to improve, um, you know, to improve complications and even the root causes of complications, it can have a huge difference. And I'll just add one right. more thing in the, in the COVID world right now, where ICU space is at a premium, we want to keep people in and out, get people in and out of the hospital quickly. It's all the more important. The less of the last thing we want to do is be having patients come back and be readmitted. Absolutely. Um, well, of course, speaking of complications, Ethicon uh, had had put out data on a, on a new stapler. It's it's, and I apologize if I'm mispronouncing this. The Echelon singular or circular powered stapler. Uh, That's correct. You know, can you? Oh, all right, perfect. Great. Glad I got it right. Uh, can you speak to what the data was in the study and, and what benefits does this uh, device or technology offer? Sure. The, so this is a great example of that development process that we just spoke about. We brought this product to market, and then as soon as we brought it to market, we put it into a clinical trial. And then mm -hmm. following the clinical trial, we also were capturing real-world evidence, too. So we had both a clinical trial, and then we used real-world evidence uh, as a control arm. And this is a technique that uh, has been used in pharmaceuticals, and it's um, established. It's now beginning to be used in other areas like devices. And so the study mm -hmm. that was published that you're referring to was uh, published in Surgical Endoscopy. And what it showed is that this echelon circular stapler, which um, which is used in colorectal cancer cases to bring the, um, the large intestine back together after you excise the cancer. And this study showed that anastomotic leaks, which are leaks that occur post-operatively, so they usually happen mm -hmm. two or three days after surgery, uh, went from an average you know, in the population of, of about 11.8% down to in this case for the, uh, with those that are associated with the echelon circular device, uh, down to 1.7%, which is a profound difference. Wow. Um, and the reason I'll, I want to dwell on this for a second is anastomotic leaks are one of those stubborn complications that uh, people have been working on for years. And it, was, yeah. it has long been thought that these are multifactorial, that it would take a, a number of different solutions even to make a dent in it. And that would ultimately take a very, very large trial to see a difference. And so we had a thought that we could make a difference, but we had no guarantee going in that the design changes that we were making in this new uh, echelon circular device would deliver these kind of benefits. So when we saw the results come back right. from the trial, we were ecstatic. Uh, and what it did is it did some of the same things that we were, that we were just mentioning. 
is it kept people from going back into the uh, going back into into surgery or back into the ER. So the readmission rates were down substantially, uh, and uh, as were total costs, and as were other complications. So even you know pernicious complications that keep people in the hospital, like um, uh, that uh, that keep were were lowered. And uh, one of them, um, now, and I'm blanking on the name of the company, is Ilias. Uh, that's a complication that keeps people in the hospital. It's usually just a stubborn complication where the bowel doesn't get uh, working again for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we saw associations with substantially lower rates of, of that complication. So overall, um, we were thrilled with this because anastomotic leak complications can be deadly. They often send patients, when they come back, they send them back into the ICU. They often have to go back into surgery. And there's a reasonable mortality risk to them. Um, some of the data that, uh, that we've seen suggests that that mortality rate can be 10 to 15%. So wow. keeping somebody from having an astomotic leak is a really important uh, outcome. Yeah, and, and, that's, and that's an incredibly impressive percentage decrease. Um, I know you said it wasn't what you – you didn't anticipate it, but you're certainly happy by it. It's, it is, I mean, incredibly, in, incredible numbers. Um, so that, that's fantastic to hear. And thank you for sharing the data with us. Um, you know, of course, this is, as I said, a great technology, fantastic glad it's on the market. However, my, the bane of my existence is always wanting to know what's next. Um, so <laughs> let me ask you without, you know, Without giving away the secrets, without getting yourself in trouble, what's on the horizon? What, you know, perhaps maybe give us a little tease of, of what's coming down the pipeline from Ethicon, you know, obviously within your unit, but is there anything you could share with us to kind of wet, you know, wet our whistle? I'll, uh, I'll do my best, and uh, I'll pick okay. up from where we were. So, so when we were talking Circular, Circular was an innovation that was directed at colorectal cancer. Uh, where the way we approach innovation is we look at it th- we look at things by disease state. So for us right now, we've got our attention on uh, bariatric surgery. And in bariatric, in bariatric surgery, uh, you don't have a lot of complications, but you, but you do have mm-hmm. uh, challenges. And uh, the challenges you have are thick, variable thickness tissue, which is problematic for a stapler that... Uh, you know, for any kind of stapler to handle the wide variety mm-hmm. of uh, tissue thicknesses that you can get even in uh, in a single firing. And uh, and the other thing we're interested in is most people with, uh, say many people who undergo bariatric surgery have complications like diabetes. They have forms of metabolic disease. And metabolic disease can affect the tissue. And tissue doesn't heal as well. And so the innovations that we're working on are directly... Uh, looking at those two problems. And then the other mm-hmm. one we're looking at is lung. Lung cancer is a really important focus area, not only for my business, but for, the, for, but for Johnson & Johnson. And uh, in lung cancer, when, if somebody is, has lung cancer and it's detected in its early stage, surgery can be a curative option for them. And so we, we constantly are looking at ways to make surgery more effective to reduce the complication rates. And the big complication rate, or the big complication in lung cancer is air leaks. 
And uh, we've got some really interesting technology uh, that's coming along that can help address the challenges with the tissue that you face in lung cancer, which can be highly friable. Uh, and uh, looking at ways we might make a difference in, uh, in problems and challenges like air leaks. Uh, probably the, the, the next thing, and so those are coming along in the high rise, and you're going, to see, uh, the, you're going to see our attention very clearly on disease states and on challenging mm -hmm. issues. And in the realm of access, because I, I told you before that access is, an, is, a, is a source of complications and it can be an important way to make a device much more effective, uh, early next year you'll see, uh, you'll see an endocutter that uh, has some unique access advantages. Uh, it, uh, it will hopefully allow, uh, allow surgeons to more easily access some of those difficult uh, tumors and, uh, and anatomy that they struggle with today. Right. So hopefully that Fantastic. gives you a sense of where we're headed. Um, and, uh, you know, as I told you before, there are a lot, of, a lot of important complications out there that need to be addressed. So we're at no shortage of inspiration uh, in our pipeline. And uh, our goal overall is we just want to make a difference in the overall burden of, of surgery and complications in surgery. And to the extent we can do that, to the extent we can alter and improve standard of care, that's what we're about. Right. Well, that's, that's fantastic. And, you know, it's a, you know, fortunately there are companies like yourself that are, are addressing those challenges. Unfortunately, we have those challenges. So it's a, it's a little bit of a double-edged sword, but glad to, glad to spend some time with you and, and hear about some of the fantastic things that Ethicon is doing and, uh, you know, where, where it's headed. So uh, best of luck with the, with the development and, uh, you know, where, you know, the, the devices that you're continuing to work on. Um, but unfortunately, that is all the time we have for this episode of MedTech Matters. I'd like to thank Tom O'Brien, Worldwide President of Endomechanical at Ethicon for, you know, again, spending a little time with us and sharing some, uh, some information. Uh, and as always, I'd like to thank you, the listener, for tuning in. So until next time, this has been Sean Bensky, Editor-in-Chief of MPO, saying thanks for listening.